You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. The other, the other thing that, that uh, uh, you know, I, I like a lot of the you are what you eat. I like a lot of the you are what you eat, but you got to be careful uh, with those arguments because if, you know, if for, if like we were living in an alternate universe and the Torah said the opposite thing, right? That like, that goats weren't kosher, but pigs were, you could, you know, then you could easily make an argument of like, you know, you are what you eat about like why the, why the pig is like, it has good qualities that you know, make it something that's worth, worth eating, you know, it's got a good sense of smell and you should, all, I don't know. Um, but that, but some of those I think are 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 uh, are, are the reasons. Um, other 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 questions before we go on. All right, so then it moves on to sea animals, and sea animals again. You see, it's got like it, um, it's got to have um, you know to use the phrase that I used before, like the complete package, right? Um, there, there are animals that, that live in the sea that like don't have fins and scales. There are animals that live in the sea that have both fin, that have w- one or the other. And there are animals in the sea that have both, right? And that's how the the ancient really these are priests that are writing this. The ancient priests sort of like categorize animals in the water and said, okay, well, an animal that has both is preferable to an animal that has one or the other, or an animal that has none. Right? Uh, it's on a sort of higher evolutionary le- level or whatever. Um, so, of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. For you, it is impure. What about whales? <coughs> yeah, so a whale has fins but no scales. But it's not, it's not a fish. Yeah, but it doesn't say it doesn't say fish. It says the creatures living in the water, right? So uh, I, I have I had a friend in rabbinical school that was trying to make the argument that like that like uh, clams and mussels and. Uh, uh, what are they called? Um, scallops. scallops. Like those should be kosher because they're not fish. Uh, uh, they're not like they're not creatures. They're bivalves or something like that. Like, but I don't think that's a really compelling argument since it says creatures that live in the in the water. Um, okay, so uh, um, so that means from a practical perspective, um, you know, uh, uh, tuna is in and uh, eel is out, right? Um, uh, salmon is in and uh, octopus is out. Right? Um, What's tilapia? Tilapia is, as far as I know, a kosher fish. It's got fins and scales. Um, there are some. There, there, uh, uh, there, there's a whole lot of water animals that you know, like so. Uh, virtually all shellfish, right? Um, uh, crabs, lobsters, you know, animals that live in the water. They don't have fins and scales. Um, uh, clams, oysters, what? Maybe it's because they scavenge. Um, uh, clams, oysters, you know, uh, uh, scallops, that sort of stuff. They eat other animals. What? So that may be the reason. Yeah, that may be the reason. That may, yeah, right, that's true. Fish do too. Uh, um, so, so the eating of other animals may not be the most compelling reason, but maybe it is. Um, uh, maybe, maybe eating uh, other animals is less... Uh, um, less significant of an issue than eating, you know, detritus or something like that. Um, you catfish are not kosher? Catfish are not kosher because they have fins but no scales. Yeah. They're ugly. 
and we get back. Uh, that's in the eye of the beholder, Betty. Um, Thank you, Betty. Pike, but we can eat them. What? So we're pike, but you eat them. Pike? Pike. I used to fish for pike and like stuff with my dad down in the James. They're ugly fish. I don't think I've seen a pike. You used to go down to the James to fish. Oh, yeah? White fishing. White fishing. And carp. What is it made with carp? Carp's a bottom feeder, isn't it? Carp, that's an interesting issue. Yes, carp is a bottom feeder, but it has fins and scales, so it's a kosher fish. Um, which means that either that's the exception to the rule of bottom feeders or bottom feeder is not the relevant category. Um, right? this, is, this is what I'm talking about. Is like You have to kind of like look at the data and say like what, what, what is the analysis of the data. And sometimes you get a pretty good analysis and, and you still have exceptions to the rule and you have to say, okay, is that just like there happens to be an exception to the rule or does that mean that the analysis isn't so good, right? Um, it, it could, maybe they didn't have carp. In maybe they didn't have carp, right? Uh, so they didn't know. Um, the only reason I know that carp is usually in gefilte fish is because uh, there was a great uh, kids book, Jewish kids book, oh, yeah. the carp in the bathtub, right. Um, it's not just a myth. It, really, you had a carp in the bathtub, wow. My, my grandmother used to get fresh fish in and kill it. Wow. Keep live fish would be fresh in wow. the bathtub. Wow. Wow. So you didn't have any goldfish growing up. <laughs> I don't know if she did, but she definitely had carp before the holidays. Wow. Um, so yeah, the bathtub, right? Yeah, right. So where did they take a bath? Where, right? <laughs> During the holidays, you didn't take a bath. That was where the that's carp another, lived. It's another ritual. We used lions to Yeah. Um, okay. All right, and then it moves on to uh, to um, air animals, right? Um, and so in this case, they don't give category, but just list the kinds of birds that one cannot eat, right? And so. You know, people go back and, and, and categorize them. It's not hard to make an argument for what the category should be, but uh, the eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the seagull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, whatever that is, because all these type of uh, eat other animals, right? Well, that that is a uh, a plausible analysis of this. I, I would I would say, um, you know, um, I imagine that there are other uh, birds that eat other kind of animals, but uh, a lot of birds that eat other kind of animals eat like bugs and stuff, uh, and these eat like other mammals and right. things. Um, Although the bat is an interesting, the bats don't eat animals. They eat insects. Sometimes maybe they eat birds, but they—I mean—but but they're not birds, right? So one of the things that I think the you know um, it's sort of what Sheila was saying before, um, I, and maybe this is a religious thing, or maybe this is an aesthetic thing, but I think what the ancient priests who laid out these laws—they um, were—they they didn't want—they didn't want to eat things that they deemed to be yucky things. Right? They wanted things that like made sense. Right? So a bat doesn't make sense. Right? Like there shouldn't be a mammal that can fly in the air. Like that doesn't make sense. Right? So, right? So you know, like a cow makes sense. Right? A bat doesn't make sense. So that's what they that's what they uh, excise. Um, all flying insects are impure for you. You do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Um, so uh, in Deuteronomy, it doesn't lay this out. But uh, uh, in Leviticus, it, it, it uh, actually um, uh, mentions a couple of, uh, of, of insects that are um, actually okay to eat, a couple of different kinds of locust, 
Um, but in general, insects are not okay to eat. <coughs> Locusts and wild honey. <laughs> I never tried it myself, but, you know, there you go. Um, do not eat anything you find. Okay, now, so now we're getting past the kinds of animals themselves, right? Those are the animals that are theoretically kosher or not kosher. And then you have um, uh, uh, some laws related to how you can eat those animals, right? So do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns. <laughs> give it to them. They, don't mind. All right. they may eat it or you may sell it to any other foreigner, but you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Right? So there again, you have an, a, 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 a hint at what may be a rationale for this, but again, it's not a very clear rationale. So does that mean you know, uh, um, a cohesiveness thing? Does that mean um, a purity thing? I'm not exactly sure. Um, so if you're walking down the street and you find a dead cow. Correct, right. So even though the cow, even though the cow. the cow and give it to a non-Jew, <laughs> and it could be that the cow is spoiled. That's okay, because you're going to give it to someone. Well, I, I suspect you would tell them, hey, I found this dead. You could choose to eat it or not eat it, right? Um, they'll say, like, I found this perfectly good cow. I can't eat it, but I want you to have it. Um, that wouldn't be a nice thing to do. But, uh, um, um, but th- that's actually really interesting. Think about that for a second, okay? So we already have, you're, not allowed, you're allowed to eat animals, and now Jews are only allowed to eat certain kinds of animals. We already know that, you're, uh, that you have to drain the blood from an animal. Not allowed to eat a limb torn from a live animal. And here you have almost, in some ways, the opposite of that, which is that you're not allowed to eat something taken from an animal that is already dead. Right? In other words, um, you can't eat something from a live animal, but you have to be the one to take the animal's life in order to eat it. Right? It has to be an intentional act of, uh, of, of killing the animal. Right, um, so you wouldn't think. In some ways, if you were thinking, okay, kosh, keeping kosher is based on uh, morality, right? You think it'd actually be better to eat an, uh, from an animal that's like died of natural causes or something like that. Maybe from health perspective, it wouldn't really. But you know, like you wouldn't have to do the killing. It's less wasteful, whatever. Right? But I, but I think this is my theory about this. And this goes to what someone said about. Um, uh, mindfulness and appreciation, right? Um, and I think we've lost a, a significant sense of this in the you know post-industrial uh, era of how we eat meat. There's no there's no intentionality anymore behind our eating meat. Like it's it's just like it's a food product that's wrapped in cellophane like any other, right? And we really lost this connection in the sense that like we had to take a life in order to eat that food. And so if you go back to the original value, which is that human beings are supposed to be vegetarians, and you, and you balance that with this, which is you're not supposed to eat anything that, 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 that um, uh, didn't involve a deliberate act of taking its life in order to, uh, to consume it. I, what I hear, what I feel is like what you're left with is a sense that um, it's really trying to discourage a person from eating meat. Right? You have to, like, if, if you had to look the animal, if you had to look the cow in the eye, would you, uh, would you eat the steak? You might if you're really hungry, or you might once in a while because it's an, because uh, you like it or whatever. But, like, would you, you know, um, would you eat as much beef as you do? My guess is probably not. Um, so I think that that's what, one of the things that it's, that it's getting at here, in addition to probably some, some health reasons as well. This is, but this is a clear message 
that the people you're giving to are not as holy as you are. Correct. I mean, it's it's almost condescending in, in its own way. And it also creates a distinction that you're better than they are. Yeah, so I think that that is certainly one way of looking at it, and I don't mean to, to you know, um, apologize for an ancient text um, that may mean exactly that. Uh, it's also possible that holiness doesn't necessarily denote uh, superiority, um, and that um, and that the 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 um, the um, ability to eat certain things doesn't necessarily imply inferiority. Um, but uh, but but there is a sense in here of you know, maybe this is like the um, cohesiveness um, or you know um, uh, uh, um, insider outsider um, uh, uh, sort of thing. In, in other words, um, you know, just because there are things that that we do and we don't do doesn't mean that the things that they do or they don't do are worse than what we do and what we don't do. Holiness doesn't necessarily mean better. Holiness means like separate or distinct, right? So um, from that point of view, um, it, it may not be saying, you know, um, give the crap to the non-Jews, right? Um, um, it could be just saying that, um, that, that, uh, that, that, that you are a distinct people with a distinct set of laws and a distinct relationship with God that, it, that, that is manifested in how you eat. Right. I'd like to feel your, what your interpretation is, is the way I should feel, and I, I, in a sense I do, but there is an ambivalence to a statement. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. And, and, and in part, um, you know, the, 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 um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm only a biblical um, originalist for, like, academic purposes, right? So, like, I, I, you know, it, it may very well have meant that. Um, as somebody who, you know, who, who um, loves Judaism and loves this text, uh, not necessarily this text in specific, but the Torah in general, um, I'm compelled to try to find a way to interpret it uh, in such a way that, that has relevance and meaning in, in my context, right? So um, it may not be what the authors originally meant, but they're not around anymore, so, you know. It does actually, actually it doesn't tell you to step over it and walk away from it. It tells you to give it to somebody or you can sell it to somebody, which in, in effect... It says, you it, may, it says you may, yeah, it doesn't but, say but you should. But in effect, it is an act of tzedakah, because if that, if you know, if you see a fresh animal that was killed, I mean, like, okay, this is a story. My kid's dog chased a deer into the street, and the car killed it. The, the deer ran into a car, and the police called Animal Rescue, who shot the deer, and then sent it to, um, you know, sent it to the to be processed. To be distributed, sure. rather than wait. Yes, yes. And if you can see it, if you see it's killed and it is fresh, then it can be given to people, and it is actually an act of tzedakah because it's good meat that people, you know, hungry people can eat. Yeah, I mean, De- Debbie raises a really good point because if you look at the text closely, um, it doesn't just say, you know, give it to give it to a non-Jew. It give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, um, right? In other words. Um, these are people that are actually living at the margins, have less advantages in society, are likely to be the poorer people in the society, who are uh, less likely to uh, have meat to eat and things like that because they can't afford it, right? So, um, so I think that, that, that that's actually... Uh, I, I never thought about it that way before, but I think that that's actually not apologetics. I think that actually uh, that there's, there, there are at least maybe an element of that going on here. 
Except um, for the next sentence. Well, you may sell it to any but other. But you form. are people holy to the Lord and to God. So yeah. Doing an act of holiness, if it's something you can't eat, but you make sure others can. Okay. Right. So right, and so the, you know, the, it doesn't the, say the, you should give it to them. It says you may give it to them. But you don't know what it says yeah. in the Hebrew. Yeah. Um, well, I, I assume that there, there's two things. When it says may, uh, Chedzar doesn't say should in Hebrew, um, uh, but. Uh, where, where, wherever I see um, the English word but um, in, in uh, biblical translation, um, I often is the case that, uh, that that but could be translated as and, right? Um, uh, um, or, or it could be translated sometimes as for, right? Because the, the but is usually the, the letter v, letter vav. Right, which can mean and, it can mean for. Right, so it could be, uh, and I have to look up the actual passage. But you may sell it to, the, to any other foreigner, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Or uh, it could be, you may sell it to any other foreigner, and you are people to uh, holy people to the Lord your God. So I don't know. You know, that, that's the. Um, we don't need to get too deep into the weeds of that. It, the, the the observation is a is a valid one, I think, and the conversation about it, I think, is also. Um, Surprisingly rich. This is really that's really great. Okay, um, um, because because you know my, my, I'm cynical too, and I probably would have read it that way. But I really love what Debbie offered, um, and I, I what can, Carla offered. I yeah. can be holy to God without being holier than thou. Exactly right. So and that's what I was trying to get at, uh, at, uh, at at the beginning, right? Just just because the Jewish holy holy doesn't necessarily mean better, right? It, it, right. It, right. Um, I think that's a very important concept to remember in when you keep kashrut, that it does not make you better, it makes you better to yourself and to God, not necessarily right. holier than the people who are not. Right, right. But right. other peoples have their own ways, maybe, to be holy to God. That's fine. But you don't believe, Jews don't believe in their way. Right. And, and yet, Rabbi, I think at the time that the priests wrote this, we didn't have a whole lot of roadkill <laughs> but the, the cow might have been tubercular and might have had a mouth disease so we just can't always make logic out of this uh, yeah maybe um, you know there, the, the way that the way the um, rabbis applied that law um, is um, uh, animals that are improperly slaughtered um, in other words, are slaughtered in a way that doesn't make death, you know, sort of instant and deliberate, um, fall into that category. Um, uh, so uh, that's, by the way, when I said before, the word traif is, a, is also a technical term. Um, a trefa is an animal that's died uh, from anything other than kosher slaughter, right? So the way, uh, you know, so uh, modern methods of slaughter... Um, even though the animal dies of the slaughter, are considered to produce trephodes, right? Um, so, but they, so they fall into this category as an animal that's already dead that, uh, that, that other people can eat but not do. That doesn't mean that the animal's not actually dead. It doesn't mean that the animal um, uh, only died of natural causes. It just means that the animal didn't die of a, sp- a specific prescribed way of dying, right? Um, so it could be... Tubercular. It could just be like you know someone botched the the slaughter and uh, and and now they have a an unkosher animal on their hands, right? Um, Rabbi, in deference of time, can we get into the meat and dairy? Yeah, yeah.
Okay. So, uh, in, you have as the uh, last passage here in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and in uh, two other places in the Bible, the passage, do not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Um, so, um, the uh, um, ancient rabbinic commentators um, uh, understood that law uh, to be um, uh, general rather than specific. It mentioned, they, what they said is that it mentions a specific thing that was like a popular kind of dish, but what it meant was to talk about the broader categories, okay? So it didn't only mean um, a, a, a kid and its mother's milk, it meant any kind of uh, meat in any kind of milk, okay? Um, and uh, they said that because they, they operate on a principle that the Torah doesn't say anything superfluously, but yet it says this passage three times. So they said, okay, so what does it mean that it repeats it three times? And they uh, came up with a few different uh, interpretations of that, um, most of which have implications for uh, the system of dietary laws. Um, so one is that you can't cook meat and milk together. You can't eat a mixture... What? Just says boil. Right. So okay. So all right. So so when they said so that that, that goes with the it, well it says lo tevashel. Yeah. Yeah. Be sure. I mean, if you want to split hairs about it, yeah. But but in any event, the rabbi said that uh, that that whether it's boiling or whether it's roasting or whether it's fry, they didn't really fry things, but uh, um, any kind of cooking of any kind of uh, meat in any kind of milk. Okay. Um, that's what they, that's, they said, this was just talking about a popular dish, but they meant it in a sort of general sense. Um, uh, as they said, that, uh, that the three repetitions of the law mean that you're not allowed to do the cooking, not allowed to eat mixtures of meat and milk, and you're not allowed to derive benefit from mixtures of meat and milk. Okay, so let's start with that last one first, because I think it's the easiest one. This basically means that a Jew shouldn't own a McDonald's, right? Um, I can't, I can't, I can't sell. It also means, I mean, depends on how, how extreme you want to take this. It means that you're not supposed to feed your animals mixtures of meat and milk, right? Um, so uh, things like that. But um, let's. So the first two of those, not allowed to cook them together and not allowed to eat them <coughs> together, are really the the the, the crux of much of Jewish dietary law, okay? Even though they're very, it's a very small passage in the Torah, um, rabbis call this, uh, when something like that happens, it's like a mountain hanging on a thread. Um, so, um, so let's talk about, you should not cook meat and milk together. Um, so the, the first thing I want to say about that is um, that... Um, uh, uh, So how do you cook something? Like like break down the the like what what what's involved in cooking for me? Cooking. Read the instructions. <laughs> you heat something. Light like the fire. Right. You heat food items together with the intention of of, of cooking them together. Right. Um, so what what that means is for the application of the law. Um, it's really, and Debbie and I were talking about this a little bit today in, in a backhanded way, um, 
what's, what's relevant in terms of these laws is um, if meat and milk come into contact with each other in a way that resembles cooking, right? Which has to involve um, heat and also the intention to put them together um, in, in a manner of cooking, right? Because you don't cook things... Well, sometimes I, like, accidentally... I, like, mean to cook things, and, like, it accidentally turns out a different way. Uh, but, like, no one really accidentally cooks something, right? You might accidentally overcook something, but you don't accidentally... So, I mean, intention, and you need uh, uh, some kind of uh, a process of, of heating it. So what does that mean? It means that... Um, uh, um, uh, um, obviously major things, right? Like, so I can't cook like a meat stew and put milk in it, right? Um, but it also means that, uh, that um, I can't take my meat stew, right, which is hot, um, and put cheese on top of it, right? Because even though I'm not actually cooking the milk and the meat together, um, the heat of the stew cooks the cheese and it acts like it's cooking them together. But it goes even further than that, right? So um, uh, the, the other thing that's involved in cooking is the transfer of flavor, right? Which usually requires some kind of, uh, some kind of heat, something to be hot, right? And so the, the rabbis interpreting this law said, if we're talking about um, you know, what, what, what's required for it to be cooking, um, it needs to uh, um, be what they call notentam. It needs to give off flavor, right? That principle is why um, uh, leads to um, uh, most kosher kitchens uh, having two sets of pots and pans, two sets of dishes, and on and on and on. Because of that principle of no ten tam, right? The presumption being that if I have a pot that I use for my meat stew, um, even if I've cleaned that pot after the meat stew is no longer in it, it might still have some, you know, meat residue in it, the meat flavor, because most things have some degree of porousness, right? The meat flavor will get into the pores of that uh, cooking vessel. And then when I go to heat something in it again, um, the, it'll, it'll exude, it'll sweat out that uh, meat flavor and get into my macaroni and cheese that I'm now cooking into that pot, right? So... Um, so that's why most people have, have separate sets of these uh, of dishes, and it, and it also depends on the material of the dishes and the pots and pans and the cooking materials. Some things are deemed to be more porous, and some things are deemed to be less porous. Things that are more porous um, uh, uh, are are, uh, are are unable to be used uh, for both uh, meat and dairy, and also unable to be. Um, uh, made kosher again if they're rendered unkosher by, say, an accidental, um, you know, uh, uh, placing of like a hot steak on a on a on a dairy plate, right? Um, because of that principle of no ten tam, because of that principle of, of imparting flavor th- um, through uh, an act that resembles <coughs> cooking. Everybody with me on this, right? So things that are in the category of more porous are usually like 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 um, earthenware. Um, uh, pottery, things like that. Um, less po- on the less porous side is like glass. Glass is considered to be less porous. In between is metal, right? So um, metallic thing. Plastic is considered to be really porous, right? Um, so it's on the earthenware side. Uh, metal is considered to be sort of like intermediary. So it's got uh, porousness, but you can 
Um, uh, and, it, and so therefore it can be rendered unkosher, but it also can be made kosher again. Uh, the way to make it kosher again um, is, um, uh, I, I don't, I, the burying thing is, is, is a crazy thing. Uh, basically it's, it's like a, it's like a, um, um, like legal mythology. Um, because what you're, what, what, um, that before, uh, there was, uh, um, soap. Um, uh, that's how people clean their pots and pans using like dirt and uh, and astringencies made from from dirt, right? Um, uh, so one of the ways that uh, um, uh, something that might otherwise uh, be an unkosher mixture or might render something unkosher um, is. Uh, um, uh, you can get away with it is if uh, there's what's called notentam. Remember that phrase? It gives a flavor. Notentam lifgam, which means it gives a disgusting flavor. So the premise of the rabbis was, I love this, is that uh, 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 non-kosher mixtures um, uh, generally taste good. But if you insert an agent that makes it not taste good, you're off the hook, right? Um, so, uh, so like if I'm if I'm how this works is like if I'm cooking you know my meat stew um, and like um, a, a drop of rancid milk falls into there that makes the meat stew disgusting even though it's dairy that's fallen fallen into my meat stew it's uh, it, it it doesn't render it unkosher uh, I love it um, but it, but the the principle also applies in my view to um, uh, to soap and things like that right so it's why. Um, I uh, and, and many uh, others um, are perfectly fine uh, using one dishwasher because of the principle of no ten tom leaf gum. Uh, because uh, um, dishwasher detergent um, imparts a, uh, a, a, a flavor that no one would want to eat. Um, and, uh, and so therefore, uh, um, uh, uh, I wouldn't wash the meat and milk dishes at the same time in the dishwasher um, not really because I don't think you can, just because uh, I would get them confused. Um, but, uh, but, but certainly that you can use the same dishwasher to wash things um, uh, in, uh, all separately, alternating, um, because of that principle. Right? Even though there's, there's heat happening in there, whatever, uh, that which would normally be a, a process, you know, related to cooking, because you have the introduction of that you know, disgusting flavor agent, um, it doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't render things unkosher. Um, what about the waiting times that we're talking about? Yeah, so, so let me get to that. that. That's in the eating section, okay? So, um, so in, in broad strokes, that's the issue of, of cooking, and that's why uh, people tend to have, who keep kosher, tend to have separate dishes. Um, and there's a good, good reason to have separate dishes, uh, in part because of the reality of, uh, of, of uh, flavors being transferred either in, uh, uh, usually accidentally um, and also because of uh, if your kitchen looks anything like my kitchen um, it's easy to confuse different things right um, and so you could very easily um, mistake a, a, a meat spoon for a dairy spoon and, uh, and, 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 uh, and forget about it um, okay before I get on to the eating section, which includes uh, um, waiting times, anybody have questions about that? I know that was a, that was a, a lot in a very short period of time. I think it's interesting that Rabbi Milgram is quoted here when he was our rabbi many years ago. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> Meat and milk together. Yeah. Right. So in, in this on this page, you have a few possible rationales for that. But uh, but again, right? It, it's a it's it's a law laid out, and someone mentioned before that maybe obedience in and of itself is one of the reasons for this, right? God gives a decree, and uh, and. You know, you say, sure, I'll do it without asking what the reason is, and, and, and maybe there's a value in and of itself for that. Um, okay, so, uh, so, so that's the issue of cooking, right? And, and, and cooking ranges from, you know, the, the obvious and intentional things, right, to, uh, to some things that are, that are less obvious but explain why uh, um, uh, Jews tend to keep meat things and dairy things in the kitchen uh, separate. However, let me just add to that. Um, it, what that also means is that you know, if you put your cold piece of cheese on your you know uh, uh, not hot meat plate, right? Let's say the plate is just room temperature, and you have your cold piece of cheese on that plate. Neither the cheese nor the plate is unkosher, right? Um, so, like, th- that's really important. Is that sometimes people are given the impression that keeping kosher is about cooties, and it's not about cooties. It's about flavor, right? It's about taste. Um, now, there's a legally prescribed definition of taste, right? But, uh, but, but nevertheless, right? Your uh, this is what we were talking about before, right? Your 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 cold piece of deli on uh, on your dairy plate, right? Doesn't render either thing unkosher. It doesn't mean you should do it because it's easy to start getting confused. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, 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 uh, but certainly by accident, there's no problem. You don't have to like bury your plates or anything like that. Um, not that such a but thing. If the plate was hot, or the meat was hot, then it's problematic. Then it's problematic. And hot is defined as uh, yad soledet bo, which means that uh, your your hand would recoil to the touch, right? So, like in other words, hot enough to actually cook it, right? Um, that's the that's the definition. Um, there's a few other details in there, but that's what we do. Okay, um, so in like two minutes we have left. Um, eating is the other one of those three that we haven't talked about. Okay, so eating is, there's, there's some obvious elements of eating, right? Of eating meat and milk together. Cheeseburgers, for example, right? Um, the, the less obvious ones are, you know, first of all, um, some of the more like subtle mixtures of meat and milk that you wouldn't, you know, necessarily think about, right? Um, uh, so, you know, things that uh, might have, like, milk derivatives or something like that, right, uh, which is why it's always uh, beneficial to, to look for a kosher certification on a product to see if it's, uh, first of all, if it's certified as kosher, but also if it's certified as kosher dairy or not dairy, um, and if it's kosher certified dairy, uh, to not eat it with, uh, with any kind of meat product or meat meal. Um, you have to be careful, though, because uh, um, some kosher certification agencies certify things as dairy, even though they're not dairy. Right? Uh, the best example I can give you off the top of my head, because it makes me mad to high hell, are Trader Joe's chocolate chips, uh, which are like the best chocolate chips on the market. Uh, and they are now, they didn't used to be, they are now certified as uh, kosher dairy. Uh, however, there is nothing in them or involved in the process of making them that is dairy. It just so happens that, uh, that they happen to make other dairy things in the same factory. And so um, they get the dairy certification because of that. Uh, I do not think that they're dairy. 
you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, um, I wouldn't necessarily allow us to use them in the synagogue kitchen because I want the synagogue kitchen to uh, to be accommodating to um, uh, all sorts of different segments of the community that may not agree with me, but I would serve it in my house. For sure. You think they're powerful? I think they're powerful, yeah. Because I used to, yeah, they used to. Yeah, I know. I know. There's still there's nothing changed about them. Just, just the certification changed. Um, so, um, uh, okay. And so, uh, so the, the issue of the issue of eating, um, uh, according to uh, the rabbis, didn't only involve like eating it to eating it like you know eating your cheeseburger on a sandwich uh, as one sandwich, but also eating things that are meat or dairy in proximity to each other um, uh, because. Uh, of the possibility that you had something stuck in your teeth. Now, it goes in one direction, but not the other. So, one is allowed to eat dairy products first, and then meat products after, with virtually no waiting. Uh, Some people say a little bit of waiting, like a half an hour. Some people say, uh, like, rinse your mouth out. And other people say, no waiting at all. Um... I'm of the opinion that like, if you still feel like cheese in your mouth, you should rinse your mouth out, but otherwise you don't need to. Um, the other way around, however, you, uh, uh, all, everybody agrees that you need to wait, right? And the reason for that is that it's much more common that you get chicken stuck in your teeth than Gouda <laughs> stuck in your teeth, right? So that's the reason. Um, and, uh, and so um, uh, there are different uh, opinions promulgated as to uh, how much time a person needs to wait. Um, uh, 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 um, everything ranging from uh, one hour, which is, uh, as I understand it, uh, the, um, a Dutch uh, uh, interpretation, to six hours, which is uh, what's practiced in most of the Orthodox world. The reason six hours, a, a lot of this is, um, the, according to the Talmud, the amount you're supposed to wait is like the, um, basically until your next meal. Right? That's really the amount of time you're supposed to wait, is until your next meal. Now, in Talmudic times, until your next meal was actually a really long time. Right? They would eat uh, a breakfast, um, and they would eat, uh, um, and they would eat um, like at, at the end of the day. Right? Um, so it probably was six or so hours. Now, if you want to be like, you know, uh, a real, real, have real fun with the, with, with the legality here, if you say, until your next meal, in our time, you don't have to necessarily wait so long at all, right? And so one hour might be plausible. Um, I personally wait three hours, which is the predominant uh, conservative movement custom, which is based on the predominant um, uh, German custom. Um, but uh, um, uh, but that's how. But but it's all related to this idea that you can't eat them together. You might have some meat still stuck in your teeth after eating meat, so you should wait until your next meal. And then the question is, how do you define when your next meal is? So I always thought that it had to do with you know your digestion, and you shouldn't have the two things mixed in your intestines or in your stomach or something, so that's not it? That's not it. There, there, are, there, there are commentators that make that argument, but they're usually refuted. They usually say, you know, once it's in your stomach, you're no longer eating it together, right? The eating it together involves, you know, the process of like putting it in your mouth and tasting it and chewing it, and that's what we're really concerned about. So children, where you want them to have milk, like Lila, yeah. she has to drink, the, if you're having a meat meal, she either doesn't have milk that night or she drinks <clears throat> the milk first and uh, so, uh, yes. Uh, um, so, generally speaking, that's what we do. Um, since she, we're a little bit uh, more flexible with her until she turns three. That's what we've decided. 
Um, so like if she just eat chicken and she's like clamoring for a glass of milk and you know it's like good to have some quiet in the house sometimes, uh, we'll give we'll give her we'll give her the milk. We have almond milk on hand. We'll give her that. But uh, uh, but but yeah, um, you know if she just had me- red meat, it's a which is more rare in our house. Um, then uh, um, we're we're a little bit more strict about that. Um, for reasons that uh, we can get into another time, but uh, but but by and large we follow that rule unless you know um, in, unless she's throwing a fit. Yeah. Another, another quick question: If you bring, for instance, the rabbi, you come to our house and you and you have dessert with us, we bring in a kosher dessert that maybe was made in one of the kosher bakeries. Yeah. In order to serve it to you, since our dishes aren't aren't kosher because we don't keep a kosher home, we serve it on either plastic or paper plates. That's normally accepted. Yes. Yes. But those plastic or paper plates, do we have to really make certain what process they've gone through in order to satisfy the majority of the rabbis, say, or the, those people who keep kosher? No. Is, is, is there any reason to think that? No. No. So serving it on those type of utensils or paper, paper or plastic products is acceptable, even though that product may have been made in a process that could have used maybe non-kosher oils or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, because because by and large, kashrut is about what you're actually eating, right? So, um, so no, I mean, I don't know what kind of non-kosher oils they're using to make plastic forks, but um, um, I, 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 I never, I never heard anybody raise objections about that. We used to serve that person the first plate. Oh, we're talking about an actual person. There's, well, yeah, there's no, an actual we person. Used who, to, yeah. um, I don't mean to like get into it, like a thing. Yeah, so they would, we would give them the, the, the first plate out of the bag or the first. What's the reason behind that? Because it, it hasn't been in our house. In, uh, you know, it hasn't been sitting there, and we're not taking it just off the shelf as a plastic plate. We're, they're getting the first interesting piece. That was, um, what, let me let me uh, why don't I, I see that there are still a couple of questions around let me um, excuse uh, everybody who doesn't have questions uh, for now and say thank you and hope you beat the snow home um, and uh, next week I won't be here but uh, the Chazan's teaching the class next week uh, and then I'll see you I guess in two weeks 